Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. An intense argument between a senator and a union leader. The two threw verbal punches during a Senate hearing on labor unions after the senator made an accusation. Lawmakers hear testimony on the dangers and promise of artificial intelligence. Questions concerning people losing their jobs and AI being used for war were raised. $600 billion a year. That's how much intellectual property China steals from the U.S., according to experts. We'll hear analysis on how this happens. With over a million illegal immigrants released into the U.S., the policy critics call catch and release is under fire. A U.S. district judge ruled on the Biden administration order yesterday. A heated argument during a Senate hearing on labor unions. A Republican senator accused union leaders of using intimidation tactics to gather members. And one union leader fired back. The Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee held a hearing on Wednesday. Senator Bernie Sanders led the hearing, focusing on anti-union tactics allegedly used by large companies. Republican Oklahoma Senator and business owner Mark Wayne Mullen accused union leaders of using intimidation tactics against employees and CEOs to make workers join their unions. Mullen reportedly took over his father's business at the age of 20 and grew the company from having six employees to having 300. My guys were making money. They're being paid more than the union halls were paying their plumbers. Our benefits were better. But because we started bidding jobs that were union jobs and winning those, union pipe fitters decided they were going to come after us. They would show up at my house. They'd be leaning up against my trucks. I'm not afraid of a physical confrontation. In fact, sometimes I look forward to it. I'm, that's not my problem. But when you're doing that to my employees, one of the union leaders present was Teamster President Sean O'Brien, who got into a verbal exchange with the senator. Mullen accused O'Brien of not having created a single job while making other people's paychecks smaller. That's where the two started speaking over each other, with Senator Bernie Sanders trying to calm the situation down. No, we don't force Senator, anybody. you've asked the You're question. You're out of line. Actually, I have it. And no, don't tell me I'm out of line. You are out of line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame, don't tell me. You I'm frame, making a you frame, you frame statement. You frame a statement. You frame a statement. You shut your mouth. Yeah. Because you don't know you're what you're talking about. You're going to tell me to shut my mouth? Yes, yeah. I did. Hold it. Yeah. Hold it. Yes, tough guy. I'm not Senator, afraid of physical. Senator, Senator don't hold it. But don't sit there and tell me I'm out of line. O'Brien later stated that he did create jobs and that teams should create opportunities by holding CEOs accountable. If you don't want to write to work state, don't force somebody to make to pay dues to an organization they may not agree with. Don't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. That's called employee choice. If you want to be part of a union, God bless you, be part of a union. NTD reached out to the Teamsters for further comment on Mullen's allegations, but didn't immediately hear back. A House committee heard new testimony yesterday on the perils and promises of artificial intelligence. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what was discussed. All right, good afternoon, everyone. After delivering a lengthy opening statement, committee chair Nancy Mace illustrated the power of new AI innovations in a very direct way. Everything I just said in my opening statement was, you guessed it, written by ChatGPT. ChatGPT is an AI technology that can convincingly mimic human writing, visual art, and other forms of expression. Eric Schmidt, a former CEO of Google, says machine learning has taken the world by storm. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I have never seen something happen as fast as this round. 
Schmidt pointed out that it took just five days for ChatGPT to reach a million users. According to Schmidt, a new epic of human experience is upon us. The ability to have non-human intelligences that we work with and occasionally have to deal with um, is a major change in human history. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene wondered about AI replacing humans. She cited examples of big tech firms doing layoffs by the thousands, with some investing large sums of money into open AI. Greene then broached another concern. Now, I also saw another headline that said Eric Schmidt is building the perfect AI warfighting machine. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask about this. Let me be clear, that's for the benefit of the United States. <laughs> Only if it's in the United States' hands, though, Dr. Schmidt. MIT professor Alexander Madri testified that AI is already being deployed and broadly adopted, while Representative Jerry Connolly suggested there may be a precedent for more intensive federal involvement. Meanwhile, Representative Kouazi Mfume urged society to proceed with caution. I don't know that we can do enough to ring the bell on this. Another subject of concern for some is the reported leftward skew of ChatGPT. Epic TV's Jeff Carlson has written about the program's apparent political bias on everything from President Biden and former President Trump to the January 6th Capitol breach. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is the biggest threat to U.S. national security and leadership globally. That's according to the U.S. Director of National Intelligence. The assertion was made at a Senate hearing on global security threats yesterday. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on testimonies from top intelligence officials. Hearing to order. Top intelligence officials shared what they think are the major threats to national security on Wednesday. The CCP topped the list. Senators expressed concerns about quickly evolving technology from around the world, and if the U.S. is able to keep up with the threats to national security innovation brings. Senator Marco Rubio, the vice chairman of the committee, asked about the social media app TikTok and the threats it poses. FBI Director Christopher Wray affirmed the CCP could use TikTok to control software on millions of devices given the opportunity, as well as control the data on millions of users. Could they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other? For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene? Yes, and I would make the point on that last one in particular that we're not sure that we would see many of the outward signs of it happening if it was happening. Rubio feels TikTok is probably one of the best surveillance tools on the planet. We've invited them in and protected them by our laws. So I, I don't understand why this company is allowed to operate. Ray pointed out the difference between the private and public sectors in the U.S., but he says that line doesn't exist for the CCP in the way that it operates. He says technology and economic security have become inextricably intertwined with national security. On the cyber side, our critical infrastructure is, in 85% of it or something, is in the hands of the private sector. And if you look at our innovation, if you look at our PII, our personal identifiable information, the percentage is even higher. And if you look at what the Chinese are trying to steal, that's where it is. Senator Mark Warner, the chairman of the committee, questioned the national security implications if China is able to lead the way in areas like 5G, rare earth mineral extraction, and biotech innovation. He honed in on U.S. corporations' investment in China. Too many of our, uh, of our corporate world still believes that, um, uh, that these collaborations inside of China are, are benign, 
even though when they turn a blind eye to the literally unprecedented amounts of intellectual property theft, uh, too often because they're making way too much money on investing in China tech. Senator John Cornyn raised the issue of the U.S. financing its number one adversary and helping them grow their military strength. He says a lack of transparency makes the problem hard to gauge. Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, says a system should be put in place to create transparency around U.S. investment in China. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The sheer volume of how many U.S. trade secrets are stolen by China is back in the spotlight. We get analysis on this from an expert who is working to have a bill introduced to prevent it. Please welcome Randy Landrino, the president of U.S. Inventor, Inc. It's great to have you with us today, Randy. Great to be here. Representatives heard testimony from experts that the Chinese Communist Party steals up to $600 billion of U.S. intellectual property every year. That's around $6,000 for every American family. Can you describe how this process takes place and what safeguards can be put in place to prevent it? You know, I mean, they've been doing this for quite some time. And um, part of the problem is that we have huge corporations that want to be in China and and in doing so, they give up. They're they are required to give up all their trade secrets, uh, and they do so voluntarily to be in that market. And that that creates a huge long-term problem because then China has everything they need to simply replace those guys. Um, but as far as the theft, I mean, look, you've got hacking that happens, um, you've got spying that happens. I mean, golly, I, I don't know if you uh, followed what happened regarding. Uh, Chinese grad students at getting into uh, uh, important universities where they're doing viral research and uh, having access to uh, very, very sensitive things that, and these are individuals that have been in, in many cases proven to be, uh, eventually proven to be tied to the CCP. So they, they're very smart, they're very devious, and they're using everything they can uh, to, to get ahead of us. So, Randy, you touch on these Chinese nationals in America being able to have access to these sensitive pieces of information. Now, one expert said the Chinese regime steals basically everything related to intellectual property. That includes aerospace, deep-sea technology, biotechnology, information technology, manufacturing, clean energy, electric battery technology, and DNA genomics. These are some really sensitive fields. What needs to be done to wake the U.S. up to this threat? You know, I think... You know, we kind of take a lot for granted, and we've had it so easy for so long, and we don't, a lot of Americans don't really see, don't really understand the threat. Part of it is, uh, if they're being, if they're being lax with their secrets, wow, that's a problem. But another side of it is being lax or giving up the secrets as part of a deal to be able to be in the Chinese market. Um, again, that's a very short-sighted view that ends up hurting America and the very companies who do it for short-term gains hurts them drastically long-term. Um, I, I think, I'm not sure what, what can be done legislatively, but I, I gotta tell you, a lot of this boils down to people simply being aware and doing the right thing. Randy, has the U.S. done anything that would facilitate this intellectual property theft by the CCP? Oh, you know, the thing that that the one of the things that U.S. has done that's that's shocking um, in this effort to uh, that that big tech had a big part in to weaken uh, to make it easier to invalidate the patent of a startup that otherwise would have competed um, 
what was created was an administrative court. So where you, most battles, where all the battles regarding intellectual property used to, used to take place in a real court with a judge and a jury and a lot of due process, now they almost all end up in this administrative court. It's very unjust where 84% of the patents that get totally reviewed there get invalidated. And Chinese companies connected to the CCP also use this administrative court legally to invalidate the patents of Americans and take our technologies. ZTE and Huawei have done it a couple hundred times. I can tell you of another situation too where, um, where, where big tech entities are kind of working with Chinese CCP entities. Um, there was recently a case of an American inventor who had his patent validated by Microsoft using this, this administrative court that's part of this new broken system we have. They actually didn't do it for themselves. They did it for their strategic partner, Xiaomi, a Chinese company. And how is it that an American company is invalidating the patent of an American for a Chinese CCP-connected entity? It, it's all wrong. And that's a big thing that U.S. Inventor is involved with. In. It's, it's usinventor.org. And all of your viewers can go there and can be a part of this effort to restore American inventors and startups um, by signing our inventor rights resolution. That is very concerning how this patent invalidation is facilitating this process. Randy Landrino, the president of U.S. Inventor, Inc., thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you. A Biden administration border policy was dealt a heavy blow yesterday. A federal judge ruled what critics refer to as catch and release illegal. U.S. District Judge T. Kent Weatherell ruled on Wednesday that alternatives to detention, also known as the catch and release policy, violates federal law. This is the practice of releasing illegal immigrants rather than holding them until their cases are resolved. The policy started in the early 2000s, but has been used more frequently under the Biden administration. The Biden administration has released more than one million illegal immigrants into the U.S. through this program. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, a Republican, sued the government in 2021 over the policy. Biden administration officials claimed they had the discretion not to hold immigrants and that Florida lacked standing. The judge wrote in the ruling, quote, the evidence establishes that defendants have effectively turned the southwest border into a meaningless line in the sand and little more than a speed bump for aliens flooding into the country. The judge vacated the policy and remanded it back to the government for further work. Moody reacted to the ruling, saying in a statement, Today's ruling affirms what we have known all along. President Biden is responsible for the border crisis, and his unlawful immigration policies make this country less safe. Federal officials did not respond to requests for comment. The ruling was stayed for seven days to allow the government time to appeal. Over 100 children and teen migrants were flown home to Guatemala yesterday. The unaccompanied minors were found in an abandoned truck trailer in Mexico on Monday. The flight to Guatemala City brought back 106 youths aged 12 to 17. They had been traveling without family. An official at Guatemala's Migration Institute says it's concerning that the number of returns of children and teenagers is increasing. She says many are teenage boys with only primary school education. One of the boys says he tried to leave because he was frustrated by the lack of schooling in his hometown. He says he will probably try again soon. The return of the unaccompanied minors to the Central American country is one of the largest in recent times. 
Coming up, a government agency says nine boxes of documents found at President Biden's Washington, D.C. think tank still haven't been checked for classified material. A new report says car thefts across the U.S. reached a 15-year high with over 1 million in 2022. Find out which states saw the highest surges. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is investigating a mysterious outbreak in a cruise ship that sickened more than 300 people. The agency said that 284 passengers and 34 crew members out of about 4,000 total people were sickened. That was on board a Princess Cruises ship between February 26th and March 5th. Their primary symptoms were vomiting and diarrhea, but the cause is currently unknown. The ship ultimately docked in Galveston, Texas, where CDC investigators collected specimens and conducted an investigation. Princess Cruises described the illnesses as mild and noted that the likely cause was norovirus, which is currently on the rise across the United States. Nine boxes of documents found at President Biden's Washington, D.C. think tank still haven't been reviewed for classified material. That's according to the National Archives and Records Administration. Acting archivist Deborah Wall answered specific questions from Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley on Tuesday. The questions concerned the agency's knowledge of records found from Biden's time as vice president. Johnson and Grassley asked the agency if any of the Biden records discovered contained pseudonyms or email addresses associated with then-Vice President Biden. Wall then revealed that the documents hadn't been reviewed for potentially classified or sensitive materials. A former congressional candidate has pleaded guilty to violating campaign finance law. The Justice Department says Republican Linda Bennett accepted a plea deal Wednesday on one count of accepting contributions in the name of another. She faces a maximum sentence of five years in prison, though the Justice Department has agreed to recommend probation instead of jail time. Her sentencing is scheduled for June 20th. Republican lawmakers Marjorie Taylor Greene and James Comer are planning to visit the jail holding January 6 defendants in Washington, D.C. Both representatives sit on the House Oversight Committee. A Comer spokesperson says Greene is leading the effort. The news comes two days after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy released more than 40,000 hours of January 6 footage to Fox News' Tucker Carlson. The tapes appeared to show that some of the events that day were less violent than some had claimed. In reaction to the tapes, Green said Democrats lied to the American people and that they, quote, had people in place to make the Capitol breach happen. Since January 6, 2021, more than 1,000 Americans have been arrested and charged with crimes. Senator Mitch McConnell is in the hospital after a serious fall. The Senate Minority Leader tripped at a hotel in Washington, D.C. last night during a private dinner. McConnell's office didn't give details about his condition or how long he will be absent from the Senate. In recent weeks, he's the third senator to be hospitalized. That's along with Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is recovering from a bout of shingles, and Senator John Fetterman, who is seeking treatment for depression. Senator McConnell also fell at his Kentucky home in 2019, fracturing his shoulder. McConnell is 81 this year and the Senate's longest-serving GOP leader. He was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1984. 
A D.C. healthcare insurance service has been hit with a major data breach, putting the personal information of hundreds of lawmakers and their staff at risk. The House Chief Administrative Officer informed lawmakers of the breach in a letter Wednesday. D.C. HealthLink said that data for some of its customers has been exposed on a public forum. Thousands of enrollees have potentially been impacted. The FBI has been investigating the data breach since it discovered the information on the dark web. According to officials, it does not appear that members of the U.S. House of Representatives were specifically targeted by the attack. An Iowa House bill is looking to prevent diversity, equity, and inclusion offices at public universities. It would prohibit funds from going to such offices for operation or hiring. The bill's supporters say the move is necessary for boosting academic excellence. The bill does not apply to courses or research done by an institution's students or faculties and guest speakers on these topics. Related policies, training, and practices that are required by the federal government are also exempt. State Representative Taylor Collins wrote in a tweet, We will dismantle the DEI bureaucracy and return Iowa's higher education institution's focus back to academic excellence. Supporters of DEI policies say that these efforts promote equity of race and gender, making campuses more inclusive of various beliefs and identities. But opponents point out that the policies end up favoring people from certain demographics while having a negative effect on others. A CSX Corporation freight train derailed early yesterday after it struck a rock slide in Sandstone, West Virginia. Three crew members were injured and diesel fuel spilled into a nearby river. CSX said all four of the train's locomotives and 22 empty coal cars derailed. The lead locomotive had three crew members on board. They are being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. CSX said there were no hazardous materials being transported by the train and the incident posed no danger to the public. However, the lead locomotive did catch fire because of some of the diesel fuel that leaked out. Environmental teams were deployed and containment booms were used to clean up the leaked fuel. According to a new report, car theft in the United States is hovering near a 15-year high, with every month last year seeing more than 75,000 vehicles stolen. The report was published Wednesday by nonprofit industry group National Insurance Crime Bureau. It says that the number of auto thefts nationwide surpassed $1 million for the first time since 2008. That's $8.9 billion worth and a 7% jump compared to 2021. Leading the nation in auto theft last year was California, followed by Texas and Washington State. Among the top 10, the state that had the most dramatic surge in auto theft was Illinois, followed by Washington State and New York. The president of the National Insurance Crime Bureau said one problem is that the criminal justice system offers little deterrence for car thieves. Until the core issues are addressed, the organization recommends car owners roll up their windows, remove their key, and lock their doors when they exit their vehicle. It also advises parking in well-lit areas and those watched by security when possible. Los Angeles is considering officially enshrining its sanctuary city status into its municipal code. The term is currently only a symbolic moniker. Three Los Angeles City Council members brought forth the proposal. If passed, it would forbid any investigations or actions related to someone's immigration status. According to the proposal, it will formalize the city's sanctuary city declaration from 2019. It would also block federal immigration agents from seeing city databases or any personal information. The agents would also be banned from non-public areas like jails without a warrant. 
But not everyone is on board with the proposal. The Los Angeles County Republican Party chairman told the Epic Times that sanctuary city laws fail to consider that some illegal immigrants could have criminal records and that the proposal is destructive to a city already gripped by high crime. Safety and air travel in question again after a fistfight broke out on a Southwest Airlines plane in Dallas, Texas Monday. It marks the latest incident of unruly passenger behavior. Passengers were boarding a plane at Dallas Love Field Airport bound for Phoenix, Arizona, when one man confronted another and started punching him. That's according to a passenger who witnessed the incident and captured it on video. Some passengers reportedly jumped in to help de-escalate the situation. It's unclear what led up to the fight, but one of the men reportedly told passengers that the person he attacked approached his family aggressively. The two men eventually left the plane before takeoff. Southwest Airlines acknowledged the incident in a statement, but said it has no further details to share other than the flight arrived on time and as scheduled. The Dallas Police Department responded after the incident, but didn't make any arrests. TJ Maxx is recalling nearly 82,000 office chairs sold at its stores. The problem is the back can detach from the base. A dozen people have reported it's happened to them, with 10 of them saying it caused an injury. One of those injuries was a concussion. The chairs were sold at Marshalls, TJ Maxx, HomeGoods, and HomeSense stores from June of 2019 until last December. They retailed for $60 to $70. The chairs have tags with codes starting with GTA 646. They can be returned to the place of purchase for a refund. And just ahead, what's Taiwan's plan to protect itself against a potential Chinese invasion? The U.S. is helping to transform the island into a porcupine bristling with weapons. Some of Taiwan's islands are without internet. Taiwan authorities blame two Chinese ships for cutting undersea internet cables. We'll have the details soon when we return. Good to have you back with us. Beijing's wolf warrior diplomacy is back on center stage, and this time it's not limited to Chinese spokespersons. It's now extending to the highest level of the Chinese Communist Party. Xi Jinping started his third term as the head of the CCP with uncharacteristic directness, blaming the United States for blocking China's rise. In a speech on Monday, he said Western countries led by the U.S. have implemented all-around suppression and a siege against China, and it's brought unprecedented and severe challenges to China's development. He further called on Chinese people out to, quote, dare to fight and be good at fighting in order to constantly win new and greater victories. The directness of Chinese leaders may earn some applause from the nationalist audience in China, but risks prompting raised eyebrows abroad. The White House responded to China's warning on Tuesday. National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby said the U.S. seeks a strategic competition with China, not conflict, and that the U.S. aims to compete and win that competition with China. He added that Washington absolutely wants to keep it at that level. The U.S. ambassador to Japan says China should not be surprised that Washington and its allies in Asia are deepening military ties. In an exclusive interview with CNN Wednesday, Rahm Emanuel talked about Beijing's aggressive behavior toward many of its neighbors. China is going to have to realize if you want to be a respected, which is what they want, 
leader of the world, you have to actually respect the people you're interlocking with. You cannot constantly have one, two, one hammer. That is, they have had a confrontation or near confrontation with multiple countries in the region consistently. Responding to Beijing's warning, the U.S. is not to cross the first red line, meaning Taiwan. The island's defense minister said Taiwan will not allow repeated provocations from China. Tensions over democratically governed Taiwan have spiked over the past three years. Beijing is ramping up diplomatic and military pressure to get the island to accept Chinese sovereignty. Beijing sees the self-governing island as part of Chinese territory and vows to take over Taiwan by force if necessary. With Washington intensifying support for Ukraine as it battles Russia, it's also preparing for war on another front, a potential conflict with China over Taiwan. On Monday, Taiwan's defense minister confirmed there's a military plan with the U.S. underway to turn Taiwan into a huge armed camp. Military exercises China has conducted around the island show that it will likely blockade the island if invaded. Taiwan would then have to hold out on its own until the U.S. or other allies intervened. The weapon buildup in Taiwan is part of Washington's so-called porcupine strategy to arm the island for a potential war with China. The goal? To raise the cost to China should it decide to invade. Taiwan has also been learning from Ukraine about how smaller armies can inflict heavy losses on larger rivals. That's by favoring smaller, more mobile weapons. Now turning our attention to Taiwan. Residents of Taiwan's outlying islands near the Chinese coast have been without the Internet for the past month. Taiwan authorities say Chinese ships are responsible. Taiwan's National Communications Commission said two Chinese vessels cut the submarine internet cables connecting Taiwan's outlying Matsu Islands to Taiwan's main island. The Matsu Islands are home to around 14,000 residents, and they rely on the two undersea cables to connect to the outside world. The owner of a bed and breakfast says the loss of internet service is having an impact on his business. After the submarine cables were cut off, many customers chose to cancel their reservations for March and April. I think at this moment, about 10 to 20 percent of reservations have been canceled. Taiwan authorities found two Chinese ships in the locations of the cuts based on automated identification system data. They said one was a fishing vessel and the other a cargo ship, but authorities stopped short of calling it a deliberate act on the part of the Chinese regime. We can't rule out that China destroyed these on purpose, because the U.S. Navy research shows that the countries in the world capable of destroying or tapping submarine cables are Russia and China. A major Taiwanese telecom provider has set up microwave transmission as backup for the residents, but the service is extremely slow compared to regular Internet. The head of Lianqiang County, which covers the Matsu Islands, has asked for help from Taipei. He also discussed the cables on a recent visit to China. Relevant units in China are willing to help. The deputy general manager of China Mobile also attended the meeting. He sent a group of technicians to help. The earliest cable-laying ships can come is April 20th because there are a limited number of vessels that can do the job. For now, the only thing residents can do is wait. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. 
And still to come, the head of Russia's Wagner Mercenary Group says his fighters captured a major portion of the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. The rest of the city could be in danger of falling. The country of Georgia nixes a controversial bill after mass protests. Opponents say it would make the country more authoritarian. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Washington has obtained a warrant to seize a Russian aircraft. The Boeing 737 plane belongs to Russian oil giant Rosneft and is valued at over $25 million. The U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York authorized the seizure. The DOJ said the decision was based on export control violations and sanctions against Russia. The West imposed those sanctions on Moscow for its invasion of Ukraine. Rosneft is also on the U.S. sanction list, with its CEO being a longtime ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The DOJ said this Boeing plane had left and re-entered Russia at least seven times since the sanctions took effect. It was last seen in the U.S. in March 2014. The Wagner Mercenary Group said yesterday that they've captured all of the eastern part of Bakhmut, and NATO's Secretary General said the rest of the Ukrainian city could fall to the invading army in the next few days. The head of Russia's Wagner Mercenary Group said on Wednesday his fighters had captured all of the eastern part of Bakhmut in one of the bloodiest battles of the year-long war. But Ukrainian defenders, who had appeared to be preparing for a tactical retreat from Bakhmut last week, on Wednesday remained defiant. Ukrainian leaders now speak of hanging on to the city and inflicting as many casualties as possible to grind down the Russian troops. But Wagner boss Yevgeny Prigozhin said his fighters have taken control of eastern Bakhmut. If true, that would mean Russian forces now hold nearly half the city in their costly push to secure the first big victory in several months. The mercenary leader said his fighters, who have been leading the attack on Bakhmut, were clearing the way for Russian forces. But Prigozhin has issued premature success claims before, and Reuters was not able to verify the situation on the ground. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said Russia was throwing more troops into the battle. What uh, Russia lacks in uh, quality, they try to make up in quantity. Uh, They have suffered uh, big losses, but at the same time, uh, we can uh, not rule out that uh, uh, (coughs) Bakhmud may eventually fall um, in the coming uh, days. On Tuesday, a Ukrainian medic told Reuters that all the roads out of the city were under constant heavy shelling. A Ukrainian military drone showed the scale of destruction in Bakhmut, apartment blocks on fire and smoke billowing from neighborhoods. U.S. Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines on Wednesday described the fighting in Ukraine as a grinding, attritional war. She said U.S. intelligence does not foresee the Russian military recovering enough this year to make major territorial gains. Belarus officials are confirming a February attack on a Russian aircraft parked near the Belarus capital of Minsk. The country's leader, Alexander Lukashenko, says activists from the opposition party are responsible. The suspect used drones to carry out two explosions in late February, causing damage to the A-50 surveillance jet. The A-50 is a key airborne early warning aircraft. Georgia's ruling party says it's dropping a bill on foreign agents after two nights of violent protests. The protesters called it a Russian-inspired authoritarian shift. 
After two days of protests and violent unrest, the political party that controls parliament in the country of Georgia says it's withdrawn a controversial bill that opponents said would have led it down a path toward authoritarianism. Dubbed the Foreign Agents Bill, opponents say it was inspired by a Russian law that's been used to crack down on dissent there for a decade, although its creators say it was modeled after an American law from the 1930s. Graffiti on this wall of parliament says 1984 after the dystopian George Orwell book. Despite the withdrawal, opposition groups say they plan to continue protesting anyway because they don't trust the majority party called Georgian Dream. The day before yesterday, they have detained number dozen of our friends uh, illegally. So they should be released immediately from the jail because they are peaceful protesters. Georgia should be the member of the European Union and NATO. This Russian law is against Georgia's European aspirations. So we are ready to continue the protests. The proposed law would have required any person, media outlet, or civil society organization that gets more than 20% of its funding from outside the country to register itself as an agent of foreign influence or face fines. Its creators say it's needed to root out spies and foreign influence and that it was modeled after the Foreign Agents Registration Act in the United States which primarily regulates groups and lobbyists who work directly for foreign governments or under the control of foreign governments. But it's been denounced by the European Union and the US, which rejects the comparisons to the 1930s law. The NGO Human Rights Watch says the Georgian bill would have required onerous inspections and reporting requirements with prison for repeat offenses. Coming up in France, Notre Dame's damaged stained glass windows are getting a makeover. The building was nearly destroyed in a 2019 fire. Now the glass is being restored to its former glory. Students at an Armenian university rediscover an ancient brick-making technique. The bricks will help restore some of the country's ancient landmarks. Find out more when we return. Welcome back. Notre Dame Cathedral is still undergoing restoration after the building nearly burnt to the ground in 2019. Now it's time to rejuvenate the cathedral's stained glass. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on this delicate step. In April 2019, a fire scorched the Notre Dame Cathedral. The blaze destroyed its spire and severely damaged the whole building. Locals and tourists watched from the street in horror. Atelier Vitreau-Imbert specializes in the design and restoration of stained glass. They're in charge of bringing the cathedral's windows back to life. It is a great honor to contribute to the worksite of Notre Dame in Paris. It is a very big honor, a sort of consecration because of the monument, of the historical dimension of this monument, and of what it represents. But for us, the work remains the same, whatever it is, Notre Dame in Paris or another monument. Some parts of the cathedral's stained glass windows are being restored in Marseille. We have two phases. There is a phase in the workshop. We are going to restore approximately 50 square meters in this workshop, and we have a phase at the work site 
on-site where we're going to do approximately 300 square meters of dust extraction and cleaning of all the chapels. Atelier Vitreux-Imbert restores and makes stained glass for churches, as well as private buildings all over France. Germaine Marie is one of the glass masters working on the Notre Dame restoration. Here I am putting together stained glass. It's a total renovation. It's also stained glass from Notre Dame in Paris, and the lead was all damaged. There had been several renovations before, so we had to change all the lead, change the pieces as well. So here I cleaned it, and I'm starting to do the assembly. Another glass master working on the project says the work is fulfilling. It's interesting to see stained glass arriving at the workshop. They are pretty broken and old, and when they come out, they are in good condition. It's quite satisfying to give them a second life. French President Emmanuel Macron pledged to rebuild the Notre Dame Cathedral within five years. It's scheduled to reopen in 2024. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Sprawling grasses blanket Pompeii, a city once buried by volcanic ash. Now the challenge is, how can people preserve the ancient ruins and protect them from damage by vegetation growth? The answer is sheep. These furry lawnmowers will keep unexplored areas of Pompeii in prime condition. The idea is part of a local sustainable agriculture initiative. Growing grass and other vegetation can harm historic walls and houses. Instead of using herbicides or machines, authorities deployed about 150 sheep in the northern part of the site. Officials say the initiative won't help lower carbon emissions, but it does help save money and preserve the landscape. First of all, we, we save money by using sheep instead of, of machines and, and people who come here and, and, and use you know, um, um, all kinds of, of tools. But then it's also something um, which really gives an idea of, of how Pompeii was in the, in the time when it was rediscovered. It was um, woods, vineyards, um, sheep, and, and it was this kind of rural environment. And in the midst of that, you had Pompeii. Pompeii was totally forgotten over the centuries. Pompeii covers an area of over 160 acres. The town was frozen by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Excavation of the ruins began 250 years ago with two-thirds of them already uncovered. The ancient site offers a glimpse into the daily lives of ancient Romans. In ancient times, bricks were dried under the baking hot sun. Students at an Armenian university are resurrecting the ancient technique, ensuring some of the country's landmarks remain for generations to come. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Students from the Armenian University of Architecture and Construction are mixing clay with different measurements of sand, straw, and water. They're trying to recreate an ancient formula. This brick is made of clay, which was taken directly from the Ereboni excavation site, which is excavations of the castle. We used five loads of clay, one load of hay, and one load of sand. Experts say the ancient brick-making technique is needed for vital restoration work. We are now trying to understand the structure and composition of the mud brick of the Urartian period. We have now made several trials of such mud bricks and we hope to obtain the optimal composition of this brick. And with the help of this knowledge, with the help of the technology, to recreate, to try and at least to recreate a part of the fortress wall. This is our main goal. The bricks must then dry in the sun. 
this needs to be done at a certain angle and in calm weather, otherwise they'll crack. In ancient times, during the Urartian period, clay bricks were almost never fired. They were mud, and it is definitely determined that the Karmir Blur fortress was mainly built from these unfired mud bricks. Now, the architectural monuments are aging, and experts say the brick recipe must be rediscovered to restore them. This fall, large-scale production of clay bricks for the restoration of the Arabuni and Karmir Blur fortresses is set to begin. The fortress was built around 782 BC by the Urartian king Argishti I. He called the fortress Irabuni, and many scholars tend to think that the name of our capital, the city of Yerevan, comes from the name Arabuni. Arabuni is considered one of the most ancient fortresses in the world. Since 1950, it has undergone archaeological excavations and restoration. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. We've heard all about autonomous vehicles. Well, now the idea is also hitting construction sites. Florida excavation company Tomahawk is planning to use dump trucks that can drive themselves to help build a neighborhood in Naples. They are regular trucks that have been retrofitted with technology made by California company Taleo. While Taleo says full automation on construction equipment is still years away, the trucks use what it calls supervised autonomy. That means the equipment can operate itself, but humans can also step in and use remote controls to help out. For now, autonomous construction equipment is expected to be used primarily for land clearing and in dangerous environments like mines. The semi-self-driving dump trucks are scheduled to begin working on the Florida neighborhood this summer. Relativity, a seven-year-old startup, scrubbed its attempt to send what it calls the world's first 3D-printed rocket to orbit on Wednesday. The rocket, a 110-foot-tall vehicle designed to haul lightweight satellites to orbit, was to launch from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station on Florida's east coast. The countdown was put on hold several times during the afternoon launch window as the team was troubleshooting various issues before the company announced on its live stream that the launch was scrubbed. Relativity did not immediately say when the next launch attempt would be. NASA is tracking a new asteroid that has a small chance of hitting Earth in about 20 years on Valentine's Day in 2046. The asteroid is named 2023-DW. It's 164 feet in diameter, about the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Officials say the chance of it actually striking Earth are one in more than 600. On NASA's risk scale, they rank it as extremely unlikely, with no cause for public concern. The agency says it continues to monitor the asteroid daily and that the risk level is likely to decline as they gather more information. The asteroid could cause severe damage if it were to strike near a heavily populated area. A much smaller asteroid struck Russia in 2013. It generated a shockwave that injured 1,500 people and damaged thousands of buildings. Coming up, a new series follows up-and-coming tennis stars as they compete around the world. The featured players discuss their experiences on the show. More to come here on NTD News Today. A Netflix docuseries follows rising tennis stars as they compete around the world. The featured players say the show has raised their profiles and provides a glimpse into professional tennis. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. You step on that court, time stops. Netflix's Breakpoint focuses on a group of up-and-coming players including Casper Root, Felix Auger-Aliassim, and Taylor Fritz. 
The series follows them as they try to navigate the pressure-filled world of professional tennis. I was doing a week of training in uh, Florida before going to Acapulco and one lady came up to me at Publix and said, you know, me and my husband were watching you last night on TV, so uh, on the Netflix show. One episode follows Rude's run to the final of last year's French Open. One scene depicts a heated exchange between the Norwegian and the grounds crew. Well, I mean, there was an incident during the Roland Garros before the semifinal where I was quite uh, angry, you know, honestly, uh, because, you know, the court crew wouldn't let us warm up uh, before the match. They said that it was supposed to rain. It wasn't raining when we arrived on court. Canada's Augur Aliasim feels the impact of the show most acutely in the U.S., the biggest market for Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing like uh, crazy uh, that you would think, but it's just that people, they, you know, they say, oh, I, know, I saw you on the Netflix or I just watched your episode, I loved it. And um, or they say, yeah, like, I wish you luck. So it's just nice interactions with people that um, maybe were not tennis fans before. Fritz's episode documented his victory in the Indian Wells final last year. I thought the episode was really great, I think. There was a couple things that, were, that was missed. I think it, the, maybe the episode made it seem like my injury was in the warm-up before my match. It was at the end of my semifinal match, and then I had only realized how bad it felt the next day. He was happy with how the episode turned out, but he added that the ankle injury he played through may have been misconstrued. Part two of Breakpoint will be available on Netflix in June. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A heroic rescue in Austin, Texas last Sunday, an NFL player pulled a man to safety from a burning car. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver K.J. Osborne was on his way back home in an Uber when they found a car crashed and on fire. The 25-year-old joined the Uber driver and two others in the rescue when they saw a man stranded in the car. He seemed slightly dazed from the collision and he couldn't move but was still alive. Osborne recounted what he called the craziest experience of his life. We helped pull him out the car, but we were still close to the car because the whole time, you know, uh, this car, we had no idea if it was going to blow up. Obviously, that would have been uh, the worst. So, uh, you know, I, I picked the guy up and, you know, we walked him, you know, 10, 15 yards away from the car. By then, you know, uh, the, the firefighters that came and, and the police and everything, and, um, you know, we were able to, to rescue him. But right place, right time, um, you know, I think, you know, like I said in my tweet, you know, God is real and, um, you know, I'm happy he was able to do it. The rescued man suffered minor injuries. Osborne tweeted a photo of the quartet of rescuers. They plan to visit the man at the hospital. What you eat and drink can have a profound effect on your liver health. That easily translates into overall health. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Your liver plays a significant role in overall health. It also plays a key role in metabolism, nutrient absorption and removes waste and toxins. You'll want to avoid alcohol plus sugary and processed foods. That's because they cause big problems for the liver. But there are things you can start eating that may help to build back damage. This can make your liver stronger and prevent liver diseases. Let's start by looking at coffee. Research suggests that coffee may protect against liver disease. It can also improve liver health, particularly in those that already have liver issues. Coffee can also boost antioxidant presence. 
It can also help to limit inflammation and fight free radicals. Drinking three cups a day may be the ideal dose. Next up, India's gift to the world, turmeric. Curcumin is the active ingredient in turmeric. It may also have benefits for liver health. It is a popular spice in Indian food and is often used in curries. Turmeric is a rich source of antioxidants with a host of health benefits. If you elect to supplement with turmeric or curcumin, speak with your natural health professional. Roughly 5% of the population may experience liver trouble by taking turmeric supplements. And finally, grapefruit. Grapefruit contains two antioxidants that may benefit liver health. Research suggests these antioxidants reduce inflammation and protect liver cells. Include a grapefruit with breakfast. It's an easy way to include this nutrient-dense citrus fruit into your diet. Other foods that are good for your liver include dark berries, beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and kale. These foods can help your liver right now. The Food and Drug Administration is proposing new rules to ensure tobacco users really know what they're getting. The proposal would standardize the way tobacco products are made and packaged. That includes cigarettes, cigars, chewing tobacco, and e-cigarettes. The FDA says there have been inconsistencies between what's in e-cigarettes and what's on the label, noting some products have been contaminated with metal, plastic, and glass. In a news release, the FDA said that while no tobacco products are safe, the proposed rules are intended to minimize or prevent additional risks associated with the products. There will be a public hearing on the proposal April 12th. A new study suggests people who eat plant-based Mediterranean diets develop fewer signs of Alzheimer's in their brain tissue. One such diet is called the MIND diet. MIND stands for Mediterranean-Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay. It's a mouthful, but a healthy one that's also good for your brain. The hallmark physiological signs of Alzheimer's are sticky plaques and tangled up proteins in brain tissue. To follow the MIND diet, eat three daily servings of whole grains, at least one dark green salad, and one other vegetable each day, one daily serving of nuts, beans, or legumes every other day, berries and poultry at least twice a week, and fish at least once a week. Limit butter to no more than a tablespoon each day, and limit cheese and fried foods to no more than once a week. Also, limit red meat and sweets to less than four or five times a week. You can also enjoy one five-ounce glass of red wine every day on the MIND diet. A 98-year-old Kentucky woman got a chance to meet her great-great-great-grandchild. The photo went viral and contains six generations of her family. The family met at a nursing home residence on February 18th. Maydell Taylor Hawkins was joined by her daughter, granddaughter, great-granddaughter, great-great-granddaughter, and her new great-great-great-granddaughter. Another granddaughter was in the room taking the photo. Altogether, Hawkins has 106 grandchildren, 222 great-grandchildren, 234 great-great-grandchildren, and 37 great-great-great-grandchildren. A new addition to the family is expected soon. Hawkins married in 1940 when she was 16 to a man who was 50 and already had 10 kids of his own from a previous marriage. They had 13 more children together. The Guinness World Record for the family with the most living generations is seven, awarded to a New York family in 1989. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.